When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Hugh-topia Football Podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, joined by our senior columnist from SportsRadio610.com, and of course he is a Hall of Famer. He's my good friend John McClain. And uh, John, it's uh, good to see you as always. We're recording this a little early, the mailbag episode on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, but you were just out at the first open OTAs, open to the media, and you got your first crack at C.J. Stroud in a press conference setting. I guess just as uh, eyes and ears over at Texans OTAs, what did you, what did you see over there today? Well, I'm sure the fans would want me to say, "Man, Stroud was launching some rockets. Yeah. He was on target, pinpoint passes. He was rolling right. He was rolling left. Everything was perfect." But you know, I spend most of my time BSing with people and then getting ready for the interviews. I watched Davis Mills and Case Keenum too. And you know, all of them look good. I saw uh, Stroud over through a couple passes. I've never seen anything on the first day of OTAs that has anything to do with the season. I've actually never seen anything on OTAs period that had anything to do with the season because they can't hit. They don't wear pads. It's all mental. And we don't know if they're making mental errors. But this this is for teaching. And it's so important for a new staff, new offense, new offensive coordinator and play caller, new defensive coordinator. Even though D'Amico hasn't said it and he skirted the issue when he's been asked, I fully expect him to make the calls on defense. So getting that message across is important. I interviewed Jalen Petrie on Friday at a Baylor function. We had him again today. And he is um, – He's talking about Stroud and how impressed he is with Stroud. They've spent time together. And thing that I thought was really interesting was he said he saw Stroud away from the facility. All he wants to do is talk about football. Mm-hmm. He likes that. He said he is all ball and he's really smart. Davis Mills said good things about him since he's seen him. We didn't talk to Case Keenum. We'll talk to him next time. D'Amico talked about how important. It is for Case to be here to serve as a mentor to C.J. Stroud. We talked to him about Will Anderson. We talked to him about Tank Dell. You know, Tank, because he's a local kid from U of H, scored more touchdowns than any player, any receiver in the country the last two years. He is going to always be a topic of conversation. I can't wait 
till we get him in an interview and see how much they can tone him down because uh, I still, Davis Mills, you know, he just, he's just terrible. He's a great, he's a great guy. He's nice, but boy, I can say his lines before he comes up. You know, he's, and I asked him right off the bat, it was a tough situation. He's the starter. They used the second overall pick on a quarterback. You know, he knows the time's coming where Stroud's going to start. What does he see his role in? And he said all the right things. And I asked him how bad last year was for him, and he wouldn't even admit how bad he was. He talked about things he needs to improve on. But uh, And Stroud was good. We had him, I think, somebody timed it for eight minutes, Mm -hmm. and he answered every question directly. And one thing that I liked, he said, I don't want anything given to me. Mm -hmm. I want to earn it. And I think that's the kind of things that his coaches want to hear. Nick Casario wants to hear it. His teammates want to hear it. And I think the media likes hearing it as well. All right, two things, John, off of that. Um, One D'Amico-related, one Davis Mills-related. I guess as long as we're talking about quarterbacks, what do you think happens with Davis Mills? Do you think Davis Mills is on this team in week one? I, I, you know, you, it's, it's weird. He goes from being a starter. I can't imagine Case Keenum was signed to, to be the third quarterback and inactive on game days to be the emergency quarterback. I think they're biding their time until somebody gets hurt with another team and they see what kind of draft pick they can get because it wouldn't serve any purpose to have Mills or Keenum as the emergency quarterback. You can always sign one of those guys. So whether he's, I, I, I think he'll be gone by the dead, the trade deadline uh, because I think guys will get hurt and you got a guy who was part-time starter rookie started last year. It wasn't his fault that he regressed as the worst offense Texans have ever had. And uh, I don't know what's going to go on in Tennessee with Tannehill and Will Levis, but I know Tim Kelly likes him a lot, but they still got Malik Willis. I think there's a place for Davis Mills if a team wants it. Yeah, I agree with that. I just wonder, there's no reason to cut him, obviously. Like the only reason he wouldn't be here or Case is the emergency quarterback would be if some team offered them something for either guy. And Case is here. Like they signed Case, I think, to be more than just a backup quarterback. I think he's kind of the crash Davis to CJ Stroud's nuke Lelouch. You know what I mean? I think he's here to be the veteran guy to kind of take CJ Stroud under his wing. There's no reason to cut Davis Mills. You know, he's got value. I, I think uh, if, but if they get offered, I don't know my, my, my benchmark, John, they get offered a fifth round pick. You hang up the phone and you drive him to the airport. That's, that's Absolutely. my thing. Absolutely. Davis Mills get offered more than that. They might not get offered that. But whatever they get, you know, Casario loves Doc Paolo's draft choices. He's got only eight next year. Oh, my God. So he's going to, you know, he's going to want more. And I think he'll get one for Mills. I think he will, too. Um, The other thing before we get into the mailbag questions, John, um, D'Amico, I I watched all of D'Amico's press conference. You were there for it. My favorite answer in the whole thing was when he was asked about last year on third down. And he didn't answer the question. He said, last year's last year. Like, he he basically shut down any discussion of what this team was a year ago. And, you know, that basically, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a blank slate and we're moving forward now. I really, really liked that answer uh, from D'Amico Ryans. What did you think of, what do you think of D'Amico, his, uh, his presidential qualities as a head coach so far? He's watched every play of last year multiple times on both sides of the ball. He knows how pathetic they were. He knows which players played hard. 
that weighs into decisions that are going to be made this year. But if you struggled last year and you learn, you know, you it's if 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 you're not Laramie Tunsil, if you're or or another one of the best players, he got a chance to impress a new coaching staff. And but they know they know everything that happened last year, but they're telling the players they do not care. You're starting yep. over, and I think that's what the players want to hear. Starting fresh, I think D'Amico, he's been very inspiring. Now he's got to be careful what he says because of players. He doesn't want to say something misconstrued by a player. He doesn't want to overly praise a player and have the media act like that guy's going to be you know, the next star. So he'll be very deliberate because players players know what he says. He tries to get messages to them. He's always been a good talker. I think now more than inspiring, we'll get more analytical, yeah. informed. Yeah. All right, let's get to some mailbag questions. If you want to email the show and get your mailbag questions read and answered on the air, uh, mailbag at gmail.com, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com let's start shelly sends this one and we'll get a little female representation off the top everyone seems to love will anderson as a player but hates that the texans gave up so much to get him what needs to happen for us this season to be saying the will anderson trade is a, is a success a year from now well first of all shelly they still have first second third round picks next year and every time i've seen a negative story that they gave up too much they never, ever have pointed that out in any story I've seen. I think people don't know that they got first, second, third round picks next year. So Anderson was the top defensive player in the draft. He was an, a lot of boards. He was the top player in the draft. Their two major needs were quarterback and edge rusher. And there's a reason you stockpile draft choices is you can use them to help you move up and get players. They got a they got guys. Now I don't think Stroud will be a candidate for offensive rookie of the year like B. John Robinson, because it's much easier for rookie running backs. But Anderson is the leading contender for defensive rookie of the year based on all picks and odds. And uh I think that uh you know sack wise even it's gonna be uh, he gets an eight to ten range, people be happy. Eight's nine let him last year, eight the year before, if he gets double digits, becoming the first double digits since Watt had 16 in 2018, that would be great. But I, I've, if Will Anderson doesn't become a great player, there are a lot of experts who will be wrong. Yeah, no, there are no doubt. I almost think, John, to answer her question the way I look at it is what needs to happen for us to be saying the Will Anderson trade is a success a year from now? First of all, it probably takes longer than a year to evaluate it. You know, he's this is a long-term thing with Will Anderson. <laughs> I think as far as people in football evaluating it, because we know they're going to judge this trade. They're going to judge this trade till Will Anderson retires or the Texans win a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be judged for a long time. If we're talking about the point a year from now, to me it's almost like this sliding scale where the fewer number of games, because, because the Cardinals have the Texans' first-round pick next year, which everybody seems to think is just a lock to be a top five pick. I'm not so sure about that, but you and I were higher on the Texans last year than most, and they disappointed us. But I think the schedule is friendlier this year, and I think they're better across the board in so many areas, including head coach. I almost think for this trade, I don't even think Stroud is part of it. I think it's, to me, it's almost like this sliding scale where if this pick is like a top 
three or four pick that Will Anderson needs to be a pro bowler. If the Texans actually go out and win seven games next year, eight games next year, and Will Anderson is just a rotational guy on the defense, then I don't think people are going to go ahead and look at the trade like it was this disaster. Because if you win seven or eight games, that pick is more like 12 or 13 or 14. Um, so to me, that's that's the yin and the yang of the whole thing is, okay, how good is Will Anderson? How good is the team? And how much do does each need to compensate for the other? Because I think that's what – that's what people are worked up about. The thing that the thing that people look at with this trade is not Will Anderson, the player. They're looking at that pick and going, the Cardinals might have the top two picks in the draft next year, in a in a in a deep draft next year. First of all, Cardinals may blow the pick, mm-hmm. and uh, the Texans also got a fourth round pick in this trade. And a lot of it'll have to do what do the Texans get in the first, second, third round next year. Yeah. If they get players, they'll say, hey, we didn't need those picks. We got players with our first pick, picks in the first three rounds. Now, the first round is the Browns. They need the Browns to lose. The third round pick is the Eagles, which you think that's going to be low. But so what? There's been a lot of great players taken low in the third round or afterwards. So people that don't like to trade are going to do everything they can to justify their criticism. People that do like it, I think there's different ways to look at it, as you just pointed out, but we're not going to know for three or four years. Oh, of course not. Of course not. But that won't stop people from giving it a report card next year for sure. Um, Our friend Dave Howard, John, emails in, frequent emailer to the pod. Dave, we appreciate you. Uh, I'm excited about Tank Dell, 5'10", 165, he says. I'm reminded of Ernest Gibbons, 5'9", 178, who played for the Oilers in the 80s and 90s. Fast, shifty, 10-year career. Pound for pound, one of the toughest players I've ever seen. John, you covered him to remember him well. Do you guys think Givens might be a comp for Tank Dell? First of all, Tank Dell is not 5'10". He's 5'8". He was 5'8 at the combine, and he didn't grow two inches. The Texans took the sizes of the colleges, and the colleges always, always make players bigger. I've asked the Texans to give us accurate measurements, and I'm just using combine. I don't care what they say because okay. the combine was official. He's 5'8", 165. He'll tell you he's 5'8". He's not as heavy as Ernest Givens. He's not as tall as Ernest Givens. And um, Givens uh, was one of the best receivers in Oilers history. Tank has got a chance to contribute right away. How much opportunity he gets to play depends on John Mechie. They're both slot receivers. Mechie has played outside some. Tank didn't have his success outside. It was inside. And so um, that's a good comparison. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Casario wanted to compare him to Wes Welker. Welker's heavier than he was and taller than he was as well. All right, next one, John. Our friend Chris in the ATL emails in. Another frequent emailer to the pod. We appreciate you, Chris. Uh, the Texans not having a primetime game is not good for those of us who are out, who are limited to seeing them live since we live outside of the regional broadcast. I get my Texans feed from the radio, so hopefully I'll enjoy more rock and rolls and fewer oh-nos this season. Uh, I love that. Let's see. He asked, here's his question. Let's say the NFL changed their mind and decided to award the Texans a primetime game. Which game would you argue for and why? Well, first of all, you can also always get the NFL package on uh, YouTube now. Sunday ticket. And watch every Texans game. Um, I would want it to be against one of the top other quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And if both of them were starting, both of them had a little seasoning, I like it to be 
the game that they played against Bryce Young at Carolina mm-hmm. because both of them see it's October 29th, so they'll have almost they'll have almost two months of starting experience because they were first and second, and they will forever be compared. And odds are one or both of them are going to fail. I hope it's not like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Both were first and second pick, and neither and both of them were huge disappointments. So I would take the Panthers. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would too. I don't. Not to get too schedule nerdy, John. I don't know that they start flexing games that early in the season. That's the only thing I would say. Like if we're literally saying which one do we hope would get flexed under the rules, which by the way I want to ask you about these Thursday flexes that they approve this week. We'll do that in a second. We can, they, they might that might be in the window they could flex it. I, the, one, the one I was going to say was the final game of the season, another battle of rookie quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud. Because if that one were to get flexed into prime time, it means it's getting flexed there because it means something. Kind of like the Packers and the Lions got flexed into prime time last year at the end. Now that ended up not meaning anything because of some of the results earlier in the day. But you know the NFL tries to structure that week 18 Sunday in a way that the games progressively throughout the day still have some sort of mathematical meaning to them. And I'm not saying that the Texans and the Colts in week 18, if they got flexed, they would be battling for a bye week in the first round or anything. But that's why I bring up the Packers and the Lions as an example. They were both eight and eight going into that game last year in Green Bay, and they got flexed into prime time. If that game got flexed into prime time, you're getting a battle of two top rookie quarterbacks inside the division, and it means that the Colts and the Texans actually did something this year to put themselves in position to be relevant in Week 18. So I would take that one. That would be my – I take the other battle of rookie quarterbacks, John. Yeah, I'll be shocked if the Texans play on national TV unless they're in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the the um, the flexing goes, what what are your thoughts on – the NFL approving a rule where they can flex up to two games later in the season, weeks 13 through 17, in that window, they can flex two games into Thursday night. So from a Sunday back to a Thursday with a month's notice to the teams involved. I'm sure the traveling Texans are eating this up. I've seen games where there's 3,000 people that have planned that game all year long to go on the road and see the Texans play, and they have so much fun, I think, for the fans. It's awful, and uh, but they don't care about the fans. They only care about the money. Well, and Jerry Jones said something that I thought was a little curious, given that he's one of the owners of a Taj Mahal of a stadium, and given what he charges for ticket prices uh, up there at AT&T Stadium, um, he is obviously, along with 23 other owners, a supporter of this new rule. Um, he gave a stat out, well, only 7% of NFL fans have ever even been to an NFL stadium. The other 93% watch it on TV. And I'm going, well, that is a big middle finger to what is it in all likelihood your most your most uh, passionate, and let's face it, your most affluent fans. <laughs> but what about those 7% that, that get their hotels and their flights yeah. and everything? Then they got to pay change fees or they can't go at all. I just Agreed. Think- I think it's terrible. It's all about the almighty dollar. Yep, no doubt. Uh, Chris also asked, speaking of primetime entertainment, any new shows you guys started watching recently that you would recommend? Are you on anything on TV, John, right now? Are you you in any shows? uh, One thing Carol and I like to watch, we like BritBox. We love a lot of British mysteries Mm. and detective shows. You know, they don't have, they don't do a lot of killing with guns. They don't have big fights. 
they don't have explosions. They don't have car chase scenes, but they have some good old fashioned mysteries that make you think. And usually whatever I think, it's not what happens. Like I'll say, well, that guy did it. Or she'll Carol say, well, that woman did it. And we're always wrong. And I like that. Yeah, that's good. Swerves. I like that too. <laughs> um, we're at, we're, we watch Ted Lasso every week on Apple TV with Jason Sudeikis. This, se- this is the last season. It's only a three season show. This season's been a little too touchy feely for me. It's, I, I like the humor in that show. They're a little too serious this year. <laughs> um, I'm starting in on Mad Men. Did you watch Mad Men, John? I watched Mad Men. I, I, this sounds terrible, but I don't like comedies. I, I used to watch them. I like things now. I don't know why that are dramas where people get beat up and killed and uh, bad guys get hurt. And uh, that's just, that's what I read and that's what I watch. And uh, I like things that are going to challenge me mentally. And I don't know why I'm down on comedies because I used to watch them like crazy. Yeah. Well, John, we know the two things you like and I like. We know the two things that the Utopia Football Podcast stands for, John. Sex, violence. That's what we're all about on, on, on the uh, Utopia. That's why football. we love Game of Thrones. So the game. The Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. And that's why I like <laughs> Sons of Anarchy, which yep. is the best thing. Yep. Sopranos as well. Game and Sopranos, those shows yep. were fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, John is in downtown. He says, everyone wants to blame Bagwell for the bad moves. Is that an accurate blaming or is there more to it than that? So an Astros question for you here, John. What what are your thoughts on Bagwell's role in the moves that haven't worked so far for the Astros? um, Well, first of all, Jim Crane was running the the front office and Bagwell was his advisor. And when they went to get Abreu, two system GMs went with them. So it's not just, they didn't just sign him and give him all that money based on Bagwell's uh, recommendation. And I don't know why, what others, what others, does Bagwell get any credit for any of these other ones? Does he get any credit for last year getting Dubon in there? Did he advise James Click? We don't know exactly what, who he's advising or not. And I know people are ripping him up for Abreu and, uh, but, but I don't know. I, I just have learned a long time ago. Uh, if you're the, if you're the GM, you got to take responsibility. It's like you're the owner. You got to take responsibility for your GM, but uh, I know everybody was ripping the Montero signing contract. Now he's back to pitching well, bullpen's yep. best in baseball again. And I, I'm down on the Brea just like everybody else, but putting that all on Bagwell, I think that would be very short-sighted. I do too. Um, did you happen to catch the broadcast last night with Bagwell on it? Yeah, am I the only one thinks he needs to get closer to the mic or turn his mic? No, yeah, that's someone. Hopefully, we'll see tonight if it sounds better. No, he he sounded way too soft spoken. Did you? What did you? Did you buy his excuse for Abreu as to why he's not been hitting? That his brain is telling his. I don't. I didn't totally understand what he was saying, John. I was kind of like, all right, you're Jeff Bagwell, whatever. Okay, you're the expert. Bagwell's my all-time favorite Astro, Mm -hmm. but the fact is. Abreu looks slow. His bat looks slow. He's swinging at bad pitches. He's taking a lot of good pitches. And you know it's tearing him up. And you know it's tearing up Bagwell. But the fact is, they're playing great right now in spite of Jose Abreu. My problem is Dusty, where he continues to put him in the order. Now, he dropped him a spot. And the fact that he can't find a way for Dubon, he decides to play Dubon after three games out. He only hits a 405 foot home run. So those are good. 
good problems to have when you have too too much to figure out. But Abreu's got to be, I'm guessing, if not the one of the top three or four uh, bad moves that were made in the offseason. Oh, was- yeah, he's got to be. John, John, his his OPS is less than Martin Maldonado's. I mean, it's it's a disaster. Hey, Maldi is over the Mendoza line. I know he is. Maldi has been on a tear. He has. He has. I look. I root. I root for all of them. Like I just wish that the my concern with Abreu. Nobody knows exactly why. Like Bagwell's explanation is what it is. It was a bunch of word salad to me. I'm like, he's like your brain and the bat and this and that and every hitter goes through it. And all he has to do is hit one, and then that is going to open things up. Blah 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 blah. The, my problem with Abreu is just purely based on the contact he's making. If there's five different explanations for why he's so bad, the most likely explanation is that he's washed up. He's old, and this is what we're going to – the best we're going to get is some sort of augmented version of this 600 OPS, zero home run guy that they signed for three years. You saw that graphic I did because you commented on it. We retweeted it, comparing him in every stat last season to this season with the bat speed and – and how many barreling the ball and everything is down this season. Yeah. Yep. It's not like he's hitting the ball hard right at people. No. It's not like he's being robbed with great catches or people making running catches or, or leaping at the fence. He's hitting singles and he's not paid to hit singles. Nope. Uh, all right, John. Um, HOU mailbag at gmail.com. We squeezed a few of those in for you guys. HOU mailbag at gmail.com. We'll do more next week for sure. Um, what, uh, what do you want to get out there, John, to promote? I'm guessing with OTAs going on and all these press conferences today, there's a lot of John McClain content coming down the pipe. Well, my content is all on sportsradio610.com now. I had a column posted this morning about my, with my interview with, Jalen Petrie and about a bunch of subjects. He was tremendous. And then uh, uh, Brandon Scott's going to write today about the mini camp, and I'm going to write tomorrow, be posted in the morning about CJ Stroud. All right. Good stuff, John. I appreciate it as always. I think the next one we do of these is probably going to be after the Memorial Day holiday because I'm off to the desert. I'm off to Vegas to go see some professional wrestling, blackjack tables, and my good friend Jim Ross. Well, don't get in too much trouble. All right. I'll try. I'll try not to. If I do, I'll blame Wallace Marsh for it, as always. <laughs> Troublemaker that he is. Uh, John, John, enjoy the uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we'll, uh, I'll talk to you. I'll, I will be on the show on Wednesday, so I'll talk to you at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. That sounds good. We're not doing one Monday? We're not. We're off on Monday. Okay. Yep. Uh, have a great trip. I will. I will. And all of you, thank you for listening. Thank you to Figgy Fig for getting the podcast out to each and every one of you. Click the subscribe button. And tell a friend about the Utopia Football Podcast. The listenership is going up and up and up each week. And as the season gets here, we're really excited to bring you guys coverage of Texans football and the NFL at large. For John McClain, the Hall of Famer, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. But we will see you next time on the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Thanks.